Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. Welcome to you to Christ Church in town. To some of you, I might be unfamiliar. My name is Jonathan Jones. I work at the local county jail. And as a point of privilege this morning, I have two of my co-workers here. One for the, probably the second or third time, one for the first time. If you would stand very quickly, please. Uh, Kim and Mr. Shannon Shavis. <laughs> Shannon and I met in prison. I love, I always love to joke in these ways. Um, a lot of my clients will know at night that um, when I do my private practice, I'll tell them, you know, they'll text me, I'm coming in, I'll say, well, I just got out of jail. And it's a running joke. But it's great to have you. I've been kid, uh, messing around with Kim this week a little bit. Uh, there's a story by Henry Nowen. Um, he's a great devotional writer, Catholic priest. He's one of my favorite uh, devotional uh, writers. In the last 10 years of his life, he uh, joined a handicapped community called Lash in Toronto. And part of his submission to the community, he would allow a lot of the folks there to dictate and tell him what he could and couldn't do. Now, he's a very famous fellow in the Catholic Church. And so he would always be receiving um, invitations to go and speak. And they would say, hey, you can go to this one. And, but if you do go, you need to take one of us with us. And so occasionally, he would take someone with him. And, and this man, not knowing and not having any real boundaries, would often exclaim just before Henry would speak, I know him. <laughs> or he'd say something like, I've heard this before. You know, he'd be looking around, I've heard this before. And so I told that to Kim this week, and I said, don't you dare stand up and say, I know him. I spent eight hours with this guy. So there you go. If you open your scriptures to Exodus 23, verses 20 to, 20 to 33, that's what we're going to read this morning. Let me get my glasses on. Exodus 23, verses 20 to 33. If you would stand, please, for the reading of God's word. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hevites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, 
You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hevites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless this, your word, the portion that has been given to us for this day. Bless it to our hearts, open our ears, our minds, and everything that is within us to hear your word and to treasure it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Um, last week, um, David took a little bit of time out on um, the book of Exodus, and he led us in a meditation on Psalm 2. Psalm 2, he said, was the kingly psalm, the coronation psalm that all the Israelites would use when they crowned a new king. And it says in there that, why do the nations rage? David brought that meditation because he saw in our own country right now that he never used to think that he was a person who could rage, or that America was one of those countries where rage could show itself in such um, expression as a group of people raiding Congress. And so he gave us a warning, did he not? Let's not be like that. Have you taken a look at your own heart? What rage is in there? It's in complete agreement with Jesus. If you go to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to say, what kind of person do I want as my follower? A person that has looked at the murderous intentions of their own heart. Go to the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, by the time you get to about verse 20, Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, even if there is anger in your heart, most of us have not looked at the deep uh, desires of our own hearts and tendencies to destroy. I think this passage this morning can really clearly follow up on what David says. We've been brought out, that's the title of this whole uh, series in Exodus, brought out, ex hados is the Greek word when the Old Testament was translated by Alexander the Great into the Septuagint, that is the 70 elders in Alexandria. They called this book, rather than calling it by the first word of the book, they called it Exodus because it was the way out. 
the road out or being brought out by God from slavery in Egypt to what? We can say to freedom. But I've called this sermon from slavery to conquest. Have you ever wondered what you need to be doing in your life? Every day I ask uh, men um, who are on self-harm status in the jail, uh, when they've, I've usually asked them, have you, come, have you had in the last 24 hours a desire uh, to be dead or wished yourself to be dead? Never to wake up again. And usually, nine times out of ten, because most men go to self-harm. It's one of the paradoxes of the jail, that if you want to live, you have to say that you want to die. And they'll get you out of the dorm and put you in self-harm cell, strip you naked, give you a blanket, and you're safe. Nine times out of ten, these guys always say, no. And then I'll ask them, have you had suicidal thoughts in the last 24 hours? With a plan and an intent and a method by which you want to murder yourself. No, and I'll just write, no P-I-M. No plan, no intent, no method. And then I'll ask them, so why are you here? And they'll give me the details. And then I need some protective factors before I release them. And I'll ask them, why are you living? What are you living for? What's the foundation for your life? And they usually come up with the flimsiest of answers. My colleagues over here, they already know. But usually family will come up, uh, desire to get a job, sometimes they desire to get sober, sometimes just to be able to leave the jail and to survive jail life. But very rarely does anyone say, the foundation for my life is to go from slavery to sin, <laughs> to more conflict in my life that was designed by God for me to be in. Can you imagine? You've gone from slavery in Egypt, 400 years worth. God has come through his servant Moses. He has rescued you. You're now in the wilderness, and you think now that life is going to be hunky-dory. But Jesus, in the form of this angel, he comes along, and he says, not so. I've come to bring you more conflict, conflict that you could never have even imagined or dreamed of, but that's where we are. He takes them into conquest of Canaan, the promised land. John Piper says this, Mission exists because worship does not. What is God up to? What is God doing with the children of Israel, this new people of God? He takes them from slavery in Egypt into the wilderness, and he's preparing them to, for their inheritance in the promised land. And before they get there, they've got to have to drive out all the inhabitants of that land. And that's where the conflict will arise in how they are to be driven out. Why are they being driven out? If you're reading this, you're thinking, Christians? Surely we learned from last week from Psalm 2 that Christians can't get an AK-47. Shouldn't be seen with banners raiding the Congress. Why is the angel of the Lord seen here driving out all these different tribes? I'll get to that answer in a minute. But the big answer is, 
God is bringing together a people that will represent him in, the, in holiness and he will imbue them with holiness. And then he will carve out a space for them so that they can worship him. That is no different than Jesus in the New Testament coming along, winning a victory over death, over sin, and bringing us together through faith in him as a people to then, by the end of the Gospel of Matthew, to give the marching orders to God's people, go into all the world and preach the gospel. From a little place in Israel, which was temporal, marked, the Mediterranean Ocean, Sinai to the south, the desert to the east, Euphrates to the north, that area was marked out for the worship of God and all the inhabitants who were idolaters, who sacrificed their children to the gods. Their time had come, and God was about to judge them through his people. From Egypt into the wilderness, and then on to the promised land. God had called them, like he calls us, to plant a flag of God's rule in their hearts and wherever he leads us. And so briefly, I just want to bring three thoughts to your attention. All God's people are called to pay careful attention to God's champion. If you're going to do a work like this, it's going to take very, very brave hearts. But thank God, God doesn't leave us alone. God had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. We'd already seen, we've already preached through all the great miracles that God had wrought on behalf of his people. But he didn't leave them alone. And here, as God talks to Moses, he promises an angel. Behold, in verse 20, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. Later on, in verse 28, he says, And I will send hornets before you. Suddenly, this angel of the Lord, it was called he, but now it's I. It's almost like God personally. And John Calvin said, There is no new without the old, but the new interprets the old. And what we have here, this angel of the Lord, in whom God has planted his very name. Who does that sound like? I've already given the game away, didn't I, when I said Jesus earlier. It's a Christophany. It's what we call a Christophany. A pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ leading his people. All of God's people are called to do what? Be, pay careful attention to God's champion. You will not go alone. I will send someone before you who will defeat your foes. Yes, but as he goes, you will also fight as well alongside him. What does this sound like? Pay careful attention to him. 
And in verse 22 it says, But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. There is an unconditional promise here and a conditional one. Just because you are part of God's people, part of the family of God, part of the commonwealth of Christ, doesn't mean that the Lord can't deal with you and deal with your sin. I actually believe right now that we would be better off as evangelicals and Christians to actually spend some time being quiet. I spent the last few weeks since the election um, paying as little attention to the news as possible. My wife will tell you every time I come in from work and the news is on, I say, please, can you turn it off? I can't afford to listen to it. I am a minority in a black majority office. And if these issues of the country and of politics, left and right, Republican and Democrat, are bubbling up in my heart, I am likely to say something stupid of which I am ignorant in front of people and I will lose the complete office. They won't be able to trust me. That I'm there for them. That I am their servant leader. So I have to be very, very careful. To pay careful attention to my Lord. And why? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives this uh, severe warning It's almost like as you read this passage, uh, chapter 23 of Exodus, we can actually hear Jesus, the incarnate Jesus. Right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is his version of the whole interpretation of the law. Up until Exodus 23, we have seen the law being given, the Ten Commandments, and then in, verses, in chapters 21 and 22, it is broken down even more as God saying, this is the kind of person that I esteem. This is what I want you to look like as a person and as a people. And Jesus follows the same pattern. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Can you hear the New Testament echoing the old right here? Hear. That is actually in the Hebrew, Shema. Hear. The Lord thy God is one. Listen and obey. Earlier, Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount gives another great warning. And he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus goes on. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? Do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What a word that even God's people can fall under the same judgment as the people of this world. You've got to be able to do God's work in God's way. You have to separate yourself from the world, but yet still be in the world. Pay careful attention. The angel says, God says about the angel, to God's champion. Are you paying careful attention? That's what I mean by how much energy have you spent, have I spent in the last year looking at news and yet not focusing on cultivating a heart that is made after the image of God in Christ. We could do with spending far more time listening to Jesus, paying attention to that angel Carefully considering the incarnate Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount and paying attention, being slow to speak and yet swift to listen. Pay careful attention to God's champion. Secondly, we are to engage in God's battles. I don't know about you, but when I became a Christian... I had a honeymoon. Anybody enjoyed the honeymoon as a Christian? Isn't it wonderful? You've been shown your sinfulness. You've been miserable maybe for weeks, months, or even years. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes in your life. Maybe he's been there many, many months, weeks. Who knows how long it takes sometimes. Sometimes Jesus could appear with someone, and immediately they would come under conviction of sin. Sometimes they would already know that they are sinners. And all it needed was a catalyst for them to be able to confess it. And then you receive forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can't believe that all your sins have been washed away. And for maybe weeks, maybe months, you're on cloud nine. And then some bright spark in the fellowship goes, you just wait. And it comes, doesn't it? Maybe a fall from grace. Maybe a sin that you hadn't been tempted with before suddenly comes back into your life. Maybe you'd gotten on the wagon of no more drinking or doing drugs or looking at pornography, whatever your big sin was. But then the Lord deals with some of those and he starts to work more and more and goes deeper and deeper into your life. And before you know where you are, you're going, why did I get saved? I was better off in Egypt. Suddenly the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he not only brings light onto your present sins, but the Holy Spirit, he doesn't stop. 
He then begins to show you more of the holiness of God. He begins to show you more of the depths of your depravity and your sinfulness. And if God is infinite, your sin is infinite. And before you know where you are, you're going, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was that bad. There was a great man, uh, Jack Miller, who used to go around saying, he'd stand up in front of a congregation and with this silly little smile on his face, he would look out and go, cheer up. You're much worse than you think. And then he would say, cheer up. God's grace is far greater than you ever dared hope. What you didn't realize is that God had called you to engage in his battles. He had rescued you for a purpose. He had brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery to sin to be able to recognize your need for him, and he would give you a champion to lead you into his battles. Instead of suffering because you're a sinner, what Jesus wants to do, what God wants to do in your life, is to lead you to suffer for righteousness' sake. It's to suffer for the right reasons, not because you're a fool or you're ignorant. There's no escape from it. Conflict is inevitable. Once you are joined at the hip to Jesus, look at what it says in verse 23. When my angel goes before you and brings you. (laughs) If you are united to Christ, then the sufferings of Christ will also be your sufferings. And where do Christians suffer? Usually in the evangelical circles, we said Christians suffer the world, the flesh, and the devil. Their ideas and the ideologies of the world or religions of the world. You suffer because you begin to see the depths of your own depravity in your heart. And you suffer because the devil is like a roaring lion, Peter says, seeking whom he may devour. And you better have a champion on your side, else you are dead meat. You will not be able to stand up against these enemies. It's not possible. But God, through his angel, will bring you there. To whom? The Amorites, the Hittites. I've already hinted at who these people are. They were absolutely wicked. The church today is a spiritual entity It does not carry or should not carry a sword or an AK-47 or a machine gun. It shouldn't have a fist. It should not be breaking windows in the name of Jesus. As soon as you do, you lose the argument. But what God was doing here in the children of Israel was a prefigure. It is a type. Remember, all the Old Testament is a type of what is to come. What is to come. The Bible tells us that judgment will come upon the whole earth, starting first with the church and the people of God. And the people of God were to blot them out, judge them. They would go in and fight. God alone didn't go in, but they were called to engage the enemy and to drive them out and to carve out this space for the worship of God, where Jerusalem would be the center And eventually a temple would be placed there by King David. And Solomon would inaugurate 
the use of that temple and the glory of the Lord would come down upon the temple just like the glory of the Lord came down on the mountain and on the tabernacle. Then the glory of the Lord would come down upon the temple and the Lord would be worshipped as he should be, as God and creator of all people. We see this most clearly in 1 Corinthians the new people of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the new people of God in Corinth, Greece, they had been called out by the Apostle Paul. He had preached the gospel to them. They are now the new people. And Paul says something extraordinary to them. You are now the new people of God, but do not be like the people in the Old Testament. Do not rebel like them. And he gives them multiple examples from the Old Testament. And remember, in those days, all the Christians had was the Old Testament. You could preach Christ from any part of the Old Testament. Just as I am here, Christ is the angel. And he gave them the same warnings. Do not harden your hearts. Do not be like those people that have been called out from Egypt. There's a great warning for us here. So again, stay close and pay careful attention to our great champion. We are called to repentance, are we not? In paying close attention to Jesus, paying close attention to his word in the ways in which he would have us live requires repentance, a continual repentance in our hearts so that we're not hardened. And lastly, we are to enjoy God's victory, little by little. Do you see those words there, beginning of verse 30? Little by little. This chapter calls us to pay careful attention to God's champion, to put our hearts and lives in a place where we're listening to him carefully. We are to engage in God's battles and I would suggest the primary battle of my life, and I would suggest of your life, is your own sinfulness. And from time to time, little by little, we get to enjoy God's victory. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possess the land. The land here is a representative of what Jesus will then one day say, go into all the world. What was one, at one time small has now become the entire world. A theologian once said, I think it was a Dutch, one of these Dutch masters, once said, there is not one inch of this world that God does not say, mine. Every inch. And we're to do everything within our own powers as God provides us the ability through his grace to go into that world, into our hearts, and to say no uh, to the devil. But I want to encourage you with this little by little. As we see in the Old Testament, little by little, they were given a promise, they were given a land, but they didn't take it all at once. And I want to encourage you. Did you think by now, 
I'm about 35 years into my Christian walk. I thought I'd be a lot further ahead than I am. But I'm not. And it's been little by little. I can remember praying, oh Lord, I really want to be your servant. I really want to be holy. And the Lord gave me a wife. And then I discovered something acutely indigestible. And that was that I'm really, really selfish. And I don't love very well. And I thought I would be much further ahead than I really am. But by his grace, God sent me to seminary. He sent me back to seminary a second time to do a master's in counseling so that he could really begin to unravel some of the ways in which, even as a minister, I was not ministering very well. There was an emotional immaturity in my life. And so our presbytery, they disciplined me, took me away. I was placed in seminary again through my own choice. And they went to work on my heart, dealing with things that were left hidden there. So that if I became a counselor and I was sitting in a room with anybody, that I would be a safe man with which either a male or a female could come and bring their problems. Isn't that wonderful? Little by little, God will work in your life. Little by little. Haven't we seen it in church history as the church? We see it in Jewish history. They went forward one step and came back two. The church history, if you know anything about it, we've had great victories, but we've had great setbacks at the same time. Let me encourage you with these words from Hebrews. I can remember being sat in a room one day with a young man, talking to him about his life, but his life enabled me to reflect on my own life. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 11. For the, mo- for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Did you hear that? When the Lord moves into your life, when you're trusting and listening to the angel of the Lord, which is Christ, when you're engaging in God's battles and you begin to enjoy God's victories in spite of the setbacks, you can begin to have the perspective of how wonderful is the discipline of the Lord. You'll catch yourself in a moment saying, a year ago, I couldn't have done this. I couldn't have sat with this person. I would have been haughty and full of pride. And yet here I am telling this person how the Lord has dealt with me and asking them to enjoy the same grace that not only did I get when I first became a Christian, but the same grace that I'm enjoying today and the same grace that I'm hoping to have in the future. Amen? The picture here, little by little, I will drive them out. The picture of the land and inhabiting the land is a picture of people who are both enjoying God's promises and yet have more to enjoy. It was a massive task for them. And so is salvation a massive task for us. 
we have been told by the angel of the Lord as Jesus had died, as he has resurrected, and when he was ascending into heaven, at the very last chapter of Matthew, he says to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And lo, I am with you always. Isn't that the same promise the Israelites received? I am with you. I will prepare you to fight the battles of the Lord. Do not be afraid, for I am with you forever and ever. Amen. Let's join together in prayer. Lord, we ask that you would, through your word, through what has been preached today, Encourage us to fight your battles. Not as the Israelites fought them with real swords because they were a real uh, political and temporal entity. But now through the Spirit, through the leading of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to fight the battles against our selfishness against the darkness that lurks in each one of us, Christian or non-Christian. Lord, help us to fight battles in this world against ideologies that are false and not true, wisely and yet with much compassion for those who hold them. And Lord, we ask that you would guard our hearts against the evil one, just as we pray each week, keep us from temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.